an Ironic Media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. All right, today on the podcast, I have Nick Jenkel, and he is a Cambridge-educated thought leader who is the innovative guru behind the most successful TV show of all time, Dancing with the Stars. He is a purpose-driven entrepreneur, author, and philosopher, and he is highly sought after as a keynote speaker internationally. He has spoken at Google, Lego, Nike, Disney, you name it, he's been there. Nick is the founder of Switch On, a transformation company, and he also was the star of his own global BBC TV series as a transformation expert. Nick and I had the best conversation around dark nights of the soul, consciousness, what it takes to be here and transform your life. Nick is such a kind, warm, gentle soul, and I loved this conversation. If you want to know more about Nick, you can go to switchonnow.com or check out his four books. He is most definitely an expert in transformation. So without further ado, here is Nick Jankel. Let's get started. Welcome to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. In this show, I'll be sharing messages of hope, healing, and transformation. I'll teach you how to shift your mindset, conquer your fears, and become the best version of you. You'll hear incredible stories of transformation and about the extraordinary journey I've been on for well over a decade. My connection with energy is so strong, and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's get started. All right, so today on the podcast, I have Nick Jankel, and I am so excited to talk to him. He has so much to share about wisdom and spirituality and science. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thank you for being here. Please tell us, how did you get started in this? Wow. Well, I kind of got started in it and then I went off on about a 10-year detour and then <laughs> came back to it. So I originally was super interested in, in let's just say, wisdom. I had been brought up in a sort of low-key religious background. And I didn't really get the sort of straight up stuff, the straight religion and the classes and the, the services. But I really enjoyed a lot of what I would now call wisdom philosophy that was it wasn't a lot of it, but it was a little dotted around and then I sort of had to hunt it out. And then I decided to be a psychiatrist. I was very interested in the mind. Both my parents are different forms of psychologists. So I wanted to be a psychiatrist. And in that, for me, that world was about science. That was about medicine. That was about as much rigor as possible. And so that took me to medical school and science. And I sort of rejected anything that wasn't really grounded in, in the scientific method. And then I hit a brick wall of, let's say, uh, burnout, uh, entrepreneurial burnout, just sort of end of the line of my teenage and 20-something patterns, just sort of breaking down in relationships, in, in my own sense of self and joy. And then also ha I had a chronic pain brick wall as well. And so oh. all of these sort of walls made me stop thankfully I don't try and plow through the wall which is really painful and in the time that opened up because I stopped 
stop my company, stop my work, stop my relationship. And in the spaciousness that arose, I discovered, first of all, that there was a whole world of consciousness of wisdom that wasn't scientific, but was still rigorous. And I discovered the experience of spirituality um, mm. and what it brings to your everyday life and your capacity to heal yourself. And uh, I mean that both physically and emotionally and, and spiritually. And then I also realized that another way of talking about that is about purpose and about what I wanted to do with my career. So that was kind of like in my sort of time, I turned about 30. The last whatever years have been unfolding that and trying to take it, let it unfold in the way it wants to unfold, which is a constantly alive process, the unfolding of oneself once one decides, okay, this is going to be my work. This is going to be my journey. I'm going to be committed to my own freedom and the freedom of humankind. It takes on a life of its own. And all you can ever do then is just sort of carry on, keep up with the <laughs> process. <laughs> stay, stay on the ship. And, well, uh, I can get, tell you, you're enough. up to a lot of different things. You got a lot going on. You've written several books, you know, you've been on yeah. TV shows and things like that. You talk at all the major companies. I mean, it, you're pretty incredible. I don't know how you keep up. So it's nice to hear that you, you know, you're coming from a heart centered place and, and it Definitely. sounds like that you're saying yes to the things that feel good. So would you call that your dark night? The, that time period where you stopped everything? I would say that was like one of a number of major <laughs> I, I talk about transformation as a kind of major key and a minor key transformations. You know, we have these mm. major life stage transformations, which I've now, I think, done some work on trying to map out for people, like a sort of adult transformations that we will probably go through if we stay committed. So, for example, the transformation from being a good member of society to being what I we call an innovator, doing your mm. own thing. That's a major transformation where you give up the approval of your peers and your parents and whoever you thought should understand what you do and how you do it and go, yeah, 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 really good. Thank you. you did great job. <laughs> and then you become, I'm going to be an entrepreneur or do my own thing. And then you go through another major key from maybe egoic ambition to purpose. So these are all kind of major transformations. And then you've got these mm. minor ones. So that was definitely a major key transformation. And But I have had many, many and multiple since. And I have sort of minor key dark nights as well, sort of, Something isn't working in my relationships, usually to myself, my kids, my partner. Yeah, the process start, just keeps going, you know. And I do believe that once you give yourself over to the process of transformation, of evolution, it gets faster and quicker and more. And it, the more you practice, the more you can hold. And then the safer you can help yourself feel and the more trauma you can release and the more you can engage with other people's stuff too. Their dark night help them too. And so it's, it's, it's of no shortage of of dark nights you know there's one every night you know, <laughs> metaphorically you know if we want to there's right, one every right. night to yeah. be available to us you know mm-hmm. and then the, and the light's always in the darkness and that's the, the one of the great mysteries of of wisdom is that the dark and the light are the same but different mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i've been recently thinking a lot about that about how without the dark you don't have the light without the light you don't have the dark one of the themes of the podcast is talking about trauma and releasing trauma. And a lot of people would say trauma is, you know, your dark night, but out of the dark night comes, you know, your new purpose or transformation in some capacity. Can you talk about that? You know, about the role of trauma? My journey was very traumatized, ironically, but I gravitated towards, let's say, mind 
mindset change. So psychiatry is a, essentially a mind tool, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, coaching. These are all my stuff. And then I really woke up to body, you know, and how much we hold in our body. And then wonderfully, 10 years ago, I met my soon-to-be wife and business partner who is a trauma therapist. So, And she comes from a choreography, dance teaching, Olympic athlete type background. So we kind of came to exactly the same place, but from these different traditions. And it's it's vital that people, I think, understand that trauma is inherent in life in, in many ways. Trauma is a storage of suffering and pain and overwhelm and shock in the nervous system. And it's both on a physiological level. You can actually, if you work with yourself and you learn about yourself, you can feel shock in your body. You can feel stored up trauma. And it's also obviously a psychological challenge, but it's also a social challenge and a collective challenge as well. And it's great news is people are waking up to, to the impact of trauma on ourselves, individuals, and it's linked to addiction. It's linked to maybe some personality disorders or challenges in personality, relationships that don't work, et cetera, et cetera. But also on a collective societal level, how much of our society is driven by our own trauma, but also our, our cultural and ancestral trauma. It's So it's becoming, it's becoming mainstream. It's super important. But I also really believe that people shouldn't think of it as something necessarily inherently bad and something that was a crime or an abuse that should never have happened and many times it should never have happened in in the sense of a everyday mindset it shouldn't have happened that should never have happened but when you engage in a more conscious and wise mindset whether it should have happened or not or who was right or wrong becomes less important than whether we have the capacity the skills the courage and the desire to work with it and to find the joy in it you know find not the joy in the trauma the joy in what it could teach us and how it could change us and bring us alive and bring us to focus on what's important as you said purpose and I think one of the things that we've noticed and we now teach a little bit is that often within our deepest wound lies our truest purpose but only if we can somehow heal the wound first because otherwise what we do is we go out into the world trying to change the world because we're still hurt and the old adage is hurt people, hurt people. Mm-hmm. So for, I, we talk a lot about our heart being hurt or whole. And if we go into the world with a hurt heart, no matter what we do and how passionate we are, we will generally cause more problems for ourselves and others, even with the great intentions. You know, we're going to stop abuse. Great. You know, let's, you know, drive the barricades. But but change doesn't happen from a hurt place. Change happens from a whole place. Mm-hmm. So if we want to help the world become whole, we have to become whole and no one's got a hot totally healed heart you know that's just i don't know if that exists or what it would look like i don't think but we can certainly get to a point of wholeness and the word heal and whole come from the same root in language and holy so they're all part of the same of becoming complete in their fragility and in their brokenness so i don't know if that answers your question particularly but it's 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 working with our trauma is one of the primary challenges and and invitations that we all have to engage in if we're going to do spiritual or conscious work or living. And if we don't, we, we we do what people call now spiritual bypassing or spiritual materialism. We get so caught up in the spiritual bit, we forget that without the emotional wounding being healed, mm-hmm. we usually will depart from the grounding of our body and our being. Yep. 
as my wife says, words disguise, but the body never lies. You know, you can, mm-hmm. you can talk amazing stuff and you can run workshops and whatever. And then, but if your body isn't healing, that's when stuff happens, you know, stuff that doesn't work. Absolutely. So what do you think is the best way to help trauma? Like what has, what has worked for you? Well, we have a, a fundamental belief that you can, to some degree, transform your own trauma. If you understand the tools of and the, what trauma actually is and how your body and your mind works. So that's the first thing I would say is this is for all of us. This is for your birthright. Your birthright is to heal yourself from the wounding and pain of your childhood, your ancestral wounding, et cetera, et cetera. Trauma therapists are amazing. Experts are amazing. Therapists are amazing. And yet at the same time, there's probably not enough therapists in the world to deal with everyone's trauma. Like it's probably just reality <laughs> check, right? right? And expensive and you may have to you know, go somewhere and, and also they, they leave you or you leave them and then what, you've still got more trauma, right? There's another right. dark night and you wake up in the night four in the morning sweating, someone dies and it triggers something. So there's sort of endless trauma. So the solution has to be, we believe, to support yourself to do it yeah. and to do it in community, to do it with buddies, peers. Uh, and that's kind of what we do is we, we say that our programs aren't here to do the transformation for you they you might well have some transformation in them that's great that's what we design them for but that's not the point of them point of them is to teach you the tools because in 10 years five years 12 years you're still going to have more stuff to process Mm -hmm. you don't you shouldn't have to go to another workshop to do it you should be able to learn this stuff right and there is a process there's a methodology for it we have a version there's other people's versions you know there is a way to safely Bring trauma into your awareness that's been out of your awareness, uh, usually repressed or, or, or compartmentalized. And there's a way to do it safely. And there's a way to bring up the amount that you can handle right now, rather than the amount you'd like to handle right now. Like, right. I want to be free of all this stuff right now. And, I'm going to go to this coach. <laughs> and actually, your body knows. Your body's like, that. I can handle that, but I can't handle that. So mm-hmm. we're going to push it. And if you overload it, then you get in resistance. You probably trigger more stuff. Get sick get locked in another looping pattern of addiction of some sort. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we go so far to say that all of us have an inner shaman, guru, healer within us. We have a part of our consciousness that we call the connector. Its major job is this. It knows what to do. It, 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 it has all the capacity it needs. But we have to work with it because often we shut it down or we ignore it. And it talks to us through intuition, through you know serendipities, finding ourselves on a street with a sign up, you know, the sort of typical movie serendipity. And we start learning to, to, to follow those clues and we can learn to release our trauma. And then we can learn not just to release the trauma because then you get this vacuum which needs to be replaced by something. So that's when some more of this kind of coaching stuff comes in, which is, okay, so I no longer leave, need this pattern to protect me from even thinking that my trauma might be possible or there or part. So once I'm releasing this trauma, I don't really feel that pain or anger or disappointment or sadness anymore, grief. Now what? And that's when the coaching piece comes in. And if you just do the trauma work, you know, you go and take some medicine plants for three days, months, years. And if you don't have something then to build on it, it often comes back or you're sort of left a little bit empty. So that's why we sort of believe that the therapy piece and the coaching piece are kind of, two parts of the same coal and they need to be whole. And for the last, let's say 20, 30 years, it's kind of been either you're doing coaching or you're doing some kind of deep therapy, psycho or spiritual. And I guess our work is really bringing them together and making sense of it all. 
So so trauma is part of the story, but it's not the it's not it's the it's the rite of passage to move through healing your own trauma, but it's not the end point. Mm. There's much more after that. Likewise, spirituality isn't the end point, it's the beginning point. It's like the we I talk in one of my books that spirituality is the gateway. And when I say spirituality, I mean experiences, repeatable experiences of connection and oneness, love, Mm. empathy, whatever you want to call it, compassion. That's the gateway to healing and being of purpose and being of service and changing the world. It's not the end point that you then go, I'm done. I found the answer. I'm in the cave. I've seen the light. and I'm done. Thank you very much. You know, so that's why the trauma piece is part of the journey towards being transformational and living transformationally. Right. So are you saying that you meditate and that's how you've woke up and figured this stuff out? In part. Yeah. So what we call, some call what we call rec- reconnection practices are essential. And what I mean by that is a, a practice that you do, it has to be done. It has to be something you repeat. It's not something you do once. It's something mm. you keep on doing. Yeah. The, the clue is in the name. It's a practice. And it's something that connects your heart to itself and to others. Mm. And you can have, that can be meditation, that can be dance, that can be babies, I know, whatever, it can be anything really. But it's something that you that you do regularly. So for me, parenting can be used as a reconnection practice. Mm. Also a disconnection practice. <laughs> that's another, <laughs> that's another reconnection practices are really important. I meditate, but I also do, you know, dance. I also do kind of empathic nature walks. I have time on my own. I do a lot of what we would call sort of transformational breath work and transformational processing. Mm-hmm. Uh, a clue, so one of the clues for me, and this may resonate with a lot of people, is if I'm waking up in the night or if I'm being bugged by something, if I'm not feeling at peace, that for me is usually a moment to go, I've got some work to do inside. So I find myself some space. I, I you know, schedule it with myself, my partner, and I breathe and sort of self-hypnotize my way into a state of open awareness. And then I allow whatever's bugging me to come into it and then follow the clues through whatever it is, which often isn't what it looks like at the beginning, to find where the pain is, to find where the trauma is, to find where the difficulty is. And then that's the you know, and the process continues from there. So we're always being given the clues. Yeah, it's, it's part of the the authentically spiritual life is to use the clues. Mm-hmm. Not ignore they're the not clues. comfortable though. A lot of times <laughs> they're pain. Well, they are, by definition, they're usually discomfort. discomfort. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I, I, we talk a lot about convenience and comfort. And if you think about the entire, really the entire modern world, and I mean modern from a point of science, from a point of technology, from a point of capitalism, is premised upon comfort and convenience. Before, in the olden days, you know, no one had plates. We just ate with our hands and now we have plates. It's more comfortable. It's more convenient. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Yeah. Carry on. But we now have a world where we're so, we've been so fed on comfort and convenience that we're afraid of difficulty and, and gnarliness and discomfort and inconvenience. And living spiritually is so unbelievably inconvenient. Wait, can we just pause there for a second? Because yeah. a lot of people think that once you figure it out and you meditate and you do all this stuff, you're at peace all the time. It's really, you're just not afraid to engage with what is, you know, Absolutely. difficult. Yeah. I got even more than that. I have a lot of friends who aren't into spirituality, aren't into consciousness and they're, and they're sort of super smart, you know, London, New York, entrepreneurial scientists, media journalists, whatever, you know, these are people who run our world. 
my credibility with them has probably gone down in the last 15 <laughs> years since I speak so much about this kind of stuff. And I, I can feel, I've had conversations with them that, that they think that, and this is something that spiritual world movement has kind of created for itself, but the, the old spiritual world, let's call it the new age, sort of 70s, 80s, new age scene. It did sort of sell a line that once you find your ecstatic dance class and your, you know, your trip to Goa or Bali or whatever, then everything's going to be just peaches and cream and it's all good. And that's what they think. They think I'm sort of copping out of, of life by meditating and, and talking about my cart and stuff and, and finding joy in the darkness of lockdown or whatever it is. But actually, I honestly believe that the toughest journey possible is the psycho-spiritual journey, the journey of transformation, because not, you can't let anything go. You, nothing, once you're awake <laughs> and aware, anything that's bugging you, you know is something you need to heal, release, let go of, deal with. Mm. You know, someone said to me the other day, you know, we actually had a podcast, my wife and I on a podcast, and they said, um, you know, how, how's, what's it like working together, living, you know, and we were like, well, it's amazing. And we do three or four hours of this a day. You know, we do three or four hours of individual and co-work on ourselves and our patterning and our habits and our beliefs and our moods and our, you know, stuff every day. And before we met each other, we did 10 years on our own before that, you know. Mm -hmm. So the work, transformational living is not easy. It's, it's, it takes an enormous amount of commitment and time. And when you just at least want to do it, you're like, oh, my God, I was so triggered earlier. I've got to... <laughs> deal with that because I'm seeing them tomorrow and I don't want to show up in that same way again because mm -hmm. it didn't it's not who I am it's not how I am my commitment to myself or others okay I've got to do the work I just want to watch Netflix but actually I'm going to have to go and do a little transformational meditation and so that's not convenient but or and the payment you get from that work the salary I don't know what the analogy is the you know the the dividend you get from investing in this stock market of spiritual wellness and and healing is undescribably amazing and there's nothing like it it doesn't mean again as you said that every day is beautifully peaches and cream we're just so good here it just means every day you are in the absolute center of your life you are on the edges of your capabilities as a human being mm -hmm. whether that's cooking or homeschooling or whatever it is you are on the edge and actually this is something I, I talk about in my very first book I boldly stated happiness is not the ideal it's not the goal because often when you're doing this work, you don't feel happy. You don't even know what happiness means. You know, I'm dealing with my gnarly addictions to dot, dot, dot. Or you're grieving something or you're realizing something from your childhood was super unfulfilling and disappointing. <laughs> you never really thought about it before. So you're not happy, but you are flourishing. And you're, you just, you're, just in the, you're in the zone of your life. You're like fully alive. And what more can we want in this life than to, to be alive? Right. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Once you wake up, it's like you get this burning fire inside you to like with this purpose. And then it's like, well, what has kept me from that or what will keep me from that? Because I'm going to start to address each thing. Absolutely. And then you get married and then you have a whole other set of trauma <laughs> and patterns. And then you have kids and another set of trauma patterns. And then I guess parents die and stuff. I mean, I've, right now, my wife and I, both in our 40s, late 40s, are going through like the aging journey. You know, what happens when you know, I went for a run the other day and I hurt my ankle and it's been two weeks, still hurts, right? And I've been knee doing stuff and stretching it and and that's just, so then age becomes a thing you have to go through and then the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And, uh, but I do believe that's the kind of point, what are called adult development theories or, you know, 
developmental theories of stages we go through, whether psychological or spiritual or both, there seems to be some kind of just like perfection to it. It's hard to describe when you realize that, well, of course I should go from thinking about me to thinking about someone else when I have kids. That's of mm-hmm. course that's a natural thing to have to go through is to give up my egotism. And of course that when my parents die, I'm going to have to give up being parented and being looked at. Oh, but then I can maybe grandparent others, you know? And so of course this kind of cycle of life, you know, Maybe this is why The Lion King is like the best-selling, you know, musical of all time, because it <laughs> tells the story of the natural progress through the stages of life. And all we can do is, is keep ourself, what's the word, alive to that, to whatever's happening right now for us in our journey and not hide it, hide it away or drink it away or, or spiritually bypass it away with some mm. asanas, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate, especially after 2020, a lot of people are checking out and their traumas like right in their face and they don't have the tools and it's unfortunate. So I have, I'm curious, you wrote a book about uh, that was called spiritual atheism. So Mm -hmm. can you explain that? Because I, Mm -hmm. I, I saw it at first and I was like, wow, he doesn't believe in God, but it's about Mm -hmm. religion really. Mm -hmm. So yes, it was an interesting topic. (laughs) And uh, it's done really amazing things, unexpected things. So I will tell you, first of all, because I know some of the things you're interested in on on the podcast. I didn't want to write the book. It wasn't something I thought about writing. I was talking to this guy at a dinner party that my mom had organized for traumatized soldiers from Israel. Happened to be random. And I was talking to one of them who was the only one who was still in active service. And he was a captain or colonel or something senior, still in special forces. Just Mm. imagine what the kind of stuff he does on a, day you know monday morning at 9 a.m yeah he was also extremely religious uh, in a traditional sense and he's asking me what i do and i was and i was saying well you know i i help people feel i'm trying to make it simple you know, i try to help people feel love yeah. within and then with that love they can then heal themselves and the world we're in and da, 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 da. i try to give him a few sort of um jewish placeholders a bit of kabbalah and he said well how can you do that and not you know be a religious jew not go to synagogue and not do all that stuff I said, great question. And by the end of that night, I'd taken an Uber home. And by the end of that night, I had like 11 chapters specked out of this book, which mapped to my, happens to map to my life story of sort of leaving religion, becoming an atheist, and then going to science. And 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 it was bizarre because I realized that's kind of a replication of the way the world's gone in the last 300 years, right? We had religion, then we decided it wasn't what we wanted it to be. So we created the Enlightenment. And we had reason and science, and then we had postmodernism, which I studied as well. So I kind of basically wrote a book that was a what I call a philosophical memoir or spiritual philosophical memoir, but used my particular journey to try and show people how the world's moved from traditional religion to science to criticisms of science to what we have now, which is a strange combination of all sorts of different bits and bobs. <laughs> and what I wanted to do with the book was try and find a rigorous way of describing a philosophy, a life philosophy called spiritual atheism, which honoured and honours science and spirituality equally as two equally rigorous, valuable forms of knowing, far from being in conflict, are actually vital to be understood together. And that many of our personal and social problems comes from a schism between our consciousness and our sort of reason and and scientific world. And that we have to heal that schism within 
by acknowledging that my mind knows some really good things about the world that I learned through science and data and research and all that stuff. Good, carry on. Like if you want to know about how a virus goes from one mouth to another, right? You listen to the scientists who've done suspend, you know, a year in a lab studying ten thousand people, looking at their, I don't know, coughs going places. I'll look at them, not someone who's you know had a vision on a on a blog and written about it. But if I want to know about how to approach the life and death pain of having a virus hit the world i'm not going to listen to the scientists probably mm-hmm. you know maybe some of them but not i'm not going to listen to science as a thing mm-hmm. because it's not science isn't designed to study consciousness it never has been never was it was a mistake to ever think it could science studies matter so if you want to study nerves and how they fire that's science that's really really good but if you want to study how pain manifests in our experience science isn't the right tool for that and the right tool for that is is what people call the wisdom traditions or the contemplative traditions, which are very rigorous still, but they're not rigorous in the way of studying 10,000 people. They're rigorous in the way of studying yourself mm. for 10,000 hours, you know, whatever you want to say. So that's what the book was about. The book is a trying to help people knit together this fragmented world we have between science and spirituality, which you can see so clearly in the problems in society we have between conspiracy theories and between arrogant scientists. And it's just not working very well at the moment. It's, it's not, don't have a cohesive, I'll use the word metaphysics, I don't know what else. We don't have a cohesive life philosophy that we can all go, yay, I'm kind of in agreement with that. Right, right. Everyone's got their own, you know, thing. Well, it kind of blew my mind when I realized that science is really just studying energy and what you're talking about is energy is consciousness or consciousness yes. is energy. And so we're really talking the same thing. They have to be studying the same thing, right? Because there's only one thing. In my world, there's only one thing. Right. The universe. The one, so you called uni for a reason. And I don't believe there's two realms, right? Some traditional spiritual people or Christians and Jews and, and um, who are scientists, they say, well, look, Science has one world over here, and we talk about our stuff over here. So I can be a scientist over here, and I can also be a priest or a pastor, but we're not going to let them meet. We're going to keep them in what they call two magisteria, two worlds. But that, for me, is exactly part of the problem, because there's only one thing, energy, mass, life, the thing, universe. And so, therefore, they must be studying the same thing, but from different different ends. Yeah. So when you study yourself consciously you go inside yourself when you study yourself scientifically you go outside yourself so one's a gaze out one's a gaze in but it's still only one thing that we're gazing at <laughs> yes and it's really important that we all remember that because otherwise we get caught up in all these challenges and so a wise person will read the data read the research look at the science understand the limits of scientific research and experiments they can't tell you everything they can tell you about one very small thing that this group decided to look at usually in a lab away from the world. Right. And then they'll also reflect on it deeply and talk about it with their friends and maybe get some mentoring from someone who's maybe wiser or been there before. And then using the research and the data and their own intuition refined, not just the first thing that comes into their mind, but refined intuition, you know, deep, deep reflection on something important and they'll make a decision. And so a spiritual atheist is says to themselves, I make my choices in life by blending consciously all the best research there is, 
I'm pro-science, I'm interested in reason, I'm interested in data, and I know it's not the only answer or even the whole answer. And so I'm actively also seeking out alternative views. I'm reflecting myself. I'm meditating hours upon hours to try and find, should I vaccinate my kids? Is like one of the great questions of the age, right? And for me, you want both those streams of knowledge and wisdom coming into you. You want your own refined consciousness and intuition, and you also want data, and then you make this choice, you know? Right. That's that's a wise approach because it does have an impact upon other people. Right. So it is something that we should take, you know, it's an important role as a citizen to make those choices with as much wisdom as we can. Right. So you're saying the wisdom is really in the combining of the both things. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Wisdom comes from deep levels of embodied intelligence and, and understanding of ourself, our trauma, our pain, our suffering, emotions, our relationships, our caring, our compassion, our field of experience. And then also having a critical mind around what's data, what's the research say, because maybe I'm just making it up. You know, maybe it's just my bias. Hmm. Maybe it's just because I had that experience when I was a kid. So now I think everyone's X or Y. And then the wisdom comes when you bring the two together, but then apply it to the world. Like, that's really important for people to realize that the wisdom traditions are about making choices for me in society, not just me. And in fact, many of the reasons they kind of evolved to help us live together. You know, right. wisdom for an individual isn't, you know, do I look at the rock today or do I do some stretching on top of the rock? You know, that's it. That's about the level of thoughts you need to have as an individual meditator. But when you go, well, do I, should I look at the rock today or should I look after my kid? Oof, you know, or should I deal with that person who's starving? Or, you know, that's where wisdom comes to play is it's when it's applied to our social cultural fabric. I love that. So what's your idea about consciousness? Because uh, you say it, the consciousness is king. So mm. are you are you talking about getting this wisdom and then, you know, how it impacts everybody and how everybody is changing? What What is your theory? So consciousness is king because in many ways, we think the world changes through physical change, and, you know, recycling more, whatever. And yes, it does. There are some things have to occur in the world for change to happen. But what we forget is that all changes in the world of matter, whether it's the creation of a new algorithm for an app or a new business or a bridge or a whatever podcast, it starts first as a seed in our consciousness. The way to live wisely, we live transformationally, lead transformationally, is to become masters of our own consciousness. And we're not taught how to do it at school. It's, it's, no. it's insane that, that I often put a, start off a workshop, particularly in the corporate space, you know, put your hand up if you've spent more than 10 hours being taught about your own heart and mind, you know, how it works, what goes on in there, you know, 100 hours, you know, 1,000 hours, to, and nobody, you've got the smartest people in the world, hmm. and no one's been taught how to understand their emotional landscape their interoceptive landscape, which is your felt sense, even beneath the emotions, your sense of spaciousness or tightness or heat or emptiness, which is, you know, within us, their beliefs, our stories, our, our whatever, and our actions. So we are so lopsided as a society towards knowledge and intellect and reason and stuff. In fact, a little saying of this, so my son, my youngest son, Noah, insanely amazing child extremely dyslexic find, finds reading and writing 
unbelievably painfully boring and hard and difficult and tiring and just doesn't really get it, but uses the incredible words. He's been in workshops with us. He's been in China with, you know, the mic on on stage doing meditations. You know, he's an incredible being. But he said to my wife and I this morning, I'm not really very good at anything. Oh. What he meant was, I'm not good at the stuff they do in schools where you get A pluses or, you know, whatever it is that you get. Right? Mm. So I went actually, I took him for a walk through the woods to our local village shop. And we just went through a whole list of all the things he's good at. And I say, you know, so you're good at collaborating. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're good at what, and what he's ba- I was basically saying is you're really good at consciousness. You're really good at wisdom. You're good at relationships. You're good at understanding the feel between you and others and feeling what they want and where you can give them. You are amazing at that. And then there's another thing, which is called language. He didn't even realize it was only invented a few thousand years ago. You know, before that, there was no language. No one wrote anything down. We just talked. We just shared. We felt. We silenced, you know, helped him realize he's really good at a lot of really important things. That a lot of very intelligent people who don't understand their own consciousness, they understand rules like mathematical rules and equations and spreadsheets and all that stuff, but they don't understand this thing. Right. Emotional quotient. Emotional quotient, spiritual quotient, collaboration quotient, interceptive intelligence. They don't understand any of it. And then we wonder why we're in the state we're in because right. don't have people making decisions from, from clearness. It's all yeah. busy in there. You know, and you can't make difficult decisions in a busy mind that is obsessed with thinking it's right. <laughs> yep. Which is the intellect. The intellectual mind is designed to be right. It's taught to be right. And it spends all its time going, why am I right about this? Yep. Yep. If it'll find the evidence to make it right, even if and it's not working for it. it right, and then it will have a career that re- rewards it for being right. You know, and we end uh-huh. up just a kind of house of cards around being right. Mm-hmm. And yet our world is definitely not right. So something somewhere there's a gap uh, and and it's the lack of understanding of our consciousness that's the gap so it sounds like you've been through several dark nights based on what you've said what would you say to people who are in a dark night let's say right Mm -hmm. now first of all it is the nature of human being that we go through the night of our death of of old versions of us and it's painful and it's difficult and we want to grip on to the old because it's comfortable and we understand it. But it's the nature of transformation that, that needs to die. Right. And it dies in the night. It is just, it is literally, I don't use the word, I like to use the word design because it brings up connotations of sort of um, intelligent design. But there seems to be a design in the nature of the universe. I don't want to talk about who put it there or whether it evolved or just is. I kind of think it just is. And the nature of things is, and we, this is how I talk about it, just slightly different way before you receive you have to release Mm, i love that and we like to receive before we release so the the easiest example is (laughs) because then we're like hey is this good enough (laughs) don't really like my boyfriend but i don't really want to be on my own and do with all those nights on my own flicking on tinder so i'm just going to keep them and then maybe i'll start something else on the side and that is what we'd like to do so our our intellectual mind our protector not our connector our protector wants to get the new thing before it lets go of the old thing totally understandable but the dark night is about letting go of the old thing before you get the new thing. You don't, the, and there's, in fact, the original poem of um, John, uh, The Dark Night of the Soul, talks about the light only kind of switches on, which is the name of my business, actually. The light only switches on in the dark. You can't get the light without in, getting into the darkness of mm. the soul, right? You can't, the light just doesn't, it, otherwise there's no journey. If you are in the dark night, don't try and get out of it backwards you know, go forwards, go, go, go from 12 p.m. to 3 a.m., you know, go, go deeper, but, but go gently, 
find a buddy, find someone to share it with, go on. I mean, that's the great thing about the digital world is there are people everywhere sharing everything about anything. Treat yourself gently. It's a very fragile, not fragile is not the right word. It's a very sensitive period. So if you are finding yourself drinking a lot or you're smoking a lot or you're doing lots of things that you know aren't helpful to you, maybe just give them a, you know, a miss for a while. This is where I really believe in self-care. So I, I'm a little bit of a critic of the sort of spiritual self-care thing because I think often I think it's an escape rather than a the adventure into it and it's escape away from it. But actually, when I'm in the dark night, I go in the hot tub, I go for walks, put a fire on and just sit by the fire, eat really nutritious food. I might not go for a run, but I go for a walk. You know, I try and treat myself with as much care as possible so that the part of me that is trying to release, which is what the dark night is, is the release of this pain, is nurtured. Mm. So that the wisdom within me, the light within me, can do its job, which is to then release the pain and, and open up the breakthrough, the transformation. And there is always light after dark. It's, you know, it's such a it's truism. There is every night there is a light, the, the dawn comes. And yet we know that the dark is the darkest right before the dawn. And that's usually the bit where we want to run away. We're like, I can't stand it anymore. I can't stand this pain. Mm. But just know, and especially I wrote in my first book a dedication to all the people who have come back from pain and trauma and suffering. Literally think from the Vikings and the people who were hurt by the Vikings and the, you know, the pogroms and the, before that, the, you know, the, the, you know, the saber tooth tigers. Think of all the human beings that have come back from pain and suffering and found light and found purpose and found joy and found love and heartness, heartfulness. And it's in our birthright. It's in our capacity is to go through these experiences and come out. And I guarantee if you keep going, the dawn will be brighter, the day will be shinier, you will find periods of strength and where things are a bit easier and where things are flowing, and then there'll be another dark night. And that's just the, <laughs> the nature of transformation. Yeah. And then you start to realize, actually, it's not so dark. Actually, I quite like this kind of thing. It's kind of okay. And then you learn how to grieve. You learn how to die. You learn how to die as in old parts of you die. And then guess what? Eventually, we actually will die. Maybe we can die with some elegance and some... Mm. some grace that's what i mean by this sort of design is built in that we learn to die and then we actually will i mean it's it's a it's so i'm just i get shivers of just the nature of the of the mystery of being of 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 life is so immensely profound that we get all this as part of the part of the design right it's so beautifully done it is it's just like how else would it be any other way you know i get something i get right. phased out sometimes by it because i'm just like I feel like every bit of life that's ever lived, I, I kind of feel it in the moment. And it's like, this is, it couldn't be any other way. Right. You couldn't have a universe that grows and learns without the process of release and receive, of dying and birthing, hmm. of the healing of trauma and the receiving of new power. It's literally, it couldn't be any other way. And it's, it blows my mind. It is beautiful. Mm. I love how you just put that. You're amazing. I am so glad I got this opportunity to talk to you. This was really, really enjoyable. I love your vulnerability. I think a lot of people are afraid to be vulnerable in today's day and age. And it is wonderful to spend time with somebody who understands that they're, you know, malleable and fallible. <laughs> oh, I like that. You fall and you pick yourself up and you're just a little bit wiser each time. 
Right, right. And and really, once you wake up, there's really no going back from what I see. That's the actual reality. Yeah, you mean, (laughs) you've said there's not even, you don't even get a choice. That's the actual thing. You get a choice at the beginning. The choice is, am I going to wake up? Right. There's definitely some choice there. Although, again, that's also not really a choice because your heart will knock, knock and knock and knock. Mm-hmm. And it will do so and usually in pain and suffering and darkness. You can hear it's raining. It's, you can know where we're in England now. It starts <laughs> raining. And the heart, and, and so you do have a choice to wake up. You can hide away and you can drink yourself to believe and you can work yourself away yeah. from awakening. But once you've made the choice to wake up and to be in the world, it, it, there's no choice anymore. It's just going to be more transformation all the time. And there are times where it's just like, can I just not transform for a week? Can I have a week where I don't have to do meditation? I don't have to have a three-hour dialogue with my wife. I don't have to reflect on my old patterns that I'm now enacting with my son. Can I just have a week of holiday? And then you go on holiday and you go, oh, now there's even more transformation because I've got more time, more resource. I'm in the hot tub, I'm in the swimming pool. And there's even more. So yeah, you don't have a choice. You just have to keep going forward. Right. Um, It can be tiring. Yeah. Yeah. Just got to keep going forward. And I promise you, if you're listening to this, I've been through so many painful, traumatic experiences, both actual trauma and then the healing of it, the fear of things happening and, 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 and scariness, all sorts of range of different things. I, I will stake my entire years of work on the one simple truth that if you keep going and you find a way into connection, and that's the meditation, the dance, the movement, the loving, the tantra, whatever it is that you want to do, all of them, some of them, whatever is calling you right now, you will find a way out of the dark night into the light and you will be so reborn. And in fact, talking about my son who's challenging with dyslexia, he was yesterday going, rejuvenation. Oh, I love that word, dad. Hmm. I was like, yeah, he used it in a sentence he was doing for his homeschooling English. And he goes, rejuvenation. Wow. He's only eight. So I, I was like, God, it's a beautiful word. And we just said it for a while. And that's what happens when you when you come out of the dark and you release something and you're like, I don't need that anymore. And you've released it. You are the rejuvenation courses through your body. It's the life force, you know, the biodynamic life force. It's the kundalini, whatever you want to call it. It's the chi. It just explodes and you get this opening. And everything just is awash with the light. And then you must remember that the dark will come again. And it will be, there'll be another night. And that's just the way it is. It's this beautiful um, movement of dark night, sun, moon, yin, yang, you know, winter, summer. We are, we are a seasonal species. We are a season. Yeah, so I think I should leave it there. And we're a seasonal species. And there's a winter, summer, spring, and an autumn. Mm. Unless you're in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well you don't have any of them no you do really there are there are seasons there too <laughs> <laughs> i've been actually working with somebody and uh she uses words as her like theme for moving out whatever might be in resistance to that and and when i do energy work i do see that light filling in people when they've actually released it's so nice to see them feeling whole again at least temporarily right absolutely absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. In fact, we're, we're thinking about writing a book, my wife and I, called Whole Making, because you have, you know, sense making, story making, you know, I don't know, food making, whatever. This idea of whole making that part of our craft as humans is about being able to make things whole. And as you say, for a while, temporarily, until you scan back and then you realize there's another bit of brokenness is a, is a pejorative term, but I use it in the sense of there is fragment and then there is whole. 
and our job is continuously to hold things, to, to be a whole makers of our family, of our hearts, of our society. Which actually brings you back uh, full circle to one of the most beautiful bits of the Jewish spiritual tradition, which is this idea that your job in the world, your purpose as a human, as a wise spiritual human, is to bring back the fragments of the light, of the shard of oneness of, of God, and be part of the bringing them back together which also really speaks to a, the the Taoist has a very they have a very similar idea around that that our job is to hold things slash heal things do you think we do that through the connection with each definitely. other definitely yeah. yeah i think you could do it for yourself but you could but but you know that what the old truism is you know it's easy to think you're enlightened enlightened until you have a relationship <laughs> like, or visit your oh, family <laughs> my exactly exactly it's like thanksgiving wow i just spent nine years looking at a rock meditating and i'm yelling at my mum. you know what happened <laughs> uh, so totally. um, i actually believe that the relationship piece is really so much of the joy of the juice of the work is once we get enough capacity in ourselves we do have to do some work on ourselves i think at the beginning i, I, mm-hmm. I don't think you can skip into relationship healing until you've got some level of mastery on your own emotions and your feelings and your senses and your triggers but once we've got a little bit of that we've got some resource that to be able to be reflective with others and to be vulnerable you know open-hearted with others then the juice is really in relationships is in in healing ourselves through our relationships one of my teachers i guess says you know his work is in relationship therapy. So, you know, our wounding occurs in relationships, you know, with our caregivers and, and whatever, or with our relationship to the universe. And so our healing has to become in part to do with our caregivers and uh, sorry, relationships, our current relationships. And I don't think you can be a whole, if you've got kids, for example, I don't think you can be whole without constantly healing your relationship with your kids and showing them how to heal. So my older son, actually super smart, super, super smart, like um, fierce, and we had a fight like 10 days ago. It's a tricky situation because he doesn't live with me. He lives with me half, half the time and with his mum half the time. And so there's often a lot of, there's a lot of um, static in the, in the relational field. And just even just transitioning from one house to another. Sure. I, I did it as a child myself. So I know just going from one set of rules and boundaries and flavors to another is just difficult. Anyway, we had this falling out and he was really upset and, I was a bit upset, but he was really upset. And then we had an unbelievably beautiful conversation where I said to him, darling, you've got to please remember that every relationship has a rupture, has has ruptures. It's normal for relationships to have ruptures and tears and conflict and challenge. If you don't, then there's something worrying going on because you're not, you're not growing, you're not learning, you're not being true. The key is not the rupture, the key is repair and, and being able to come with the open and fra- and you know, what's like a um, torn heart and be able to heal with me or with other people. And I could see he was like, wow, this is like super important stuff. The, the, the repair in our relationships is, you know, we're not taught how to do it. If you remember, most of us grew up where our parents or whatever combination of people we had in our early childhood, they have very visible fights and then very invisible healings. Mm, so you yes. know there's a big fight you're like, oh my god mom and dad have a fight whatever and then, but you didn't suddenly everything's okay again but you don't see them sitting down opposite each other dealing with their triggers and their pain and they're putting so one of the things we try and do in our house is not all the time you know but we try and age appropriately share and show us repairing 
as well as rupturing. So they can see that there's work on both, you know, it's a seesaw and I don't know how I ended up talking about this, but yeah, relationship is definitely one of the great areas of, of work and great news is it's free. The, the, the transformational workshop of relationships is free. It's a free course. On your website? No, it was a, little, it was a, it was a, a joke that you don't oh, have to well, pay just in general. Yeah. To, to have transformational relationships. You know, they are, they are available when you show up in a relationship and you realize there's stuff that you have not seen for a while or maybe ever. It is so humbling and so beautiful to then still be in a relationship with someone as you heal it. Yeah. Even if you're not together with them romantically or you don't see your parents as much as maybe they'd like, it doesn't really matter. That's less important that you're still in the game. Yeah. So it sounds like your wife is kind of game for whenever you feel like you need to work things out. She is, she's what we call an innie and I'm an outie. So <laughs> when we have a fight, I'm like fiery. And then as soon as I've expressed myself, I'm like ready to repair. I'm like, let's get the love back. Let's, you know, go and do some cool stuff together, right? Whereas she is much quieter, but when she, we have a rupture, she hides away. Yeah, so she goes away into herself and she pulls out away from me and needs time and space to mm. reflect. So part of our dance, and most people seem to be either an innie or an outie in relationships, you know, it's usually one of each. Yeah. And that dance of me giving her more space, but her coming back quicker is part of our growth together. And of course, me being less fiery and her being maybe more expressed with her irritations and not bottling it all up. So, but in general, we have a, an agreement that within 24 hours, we have to show up ready to have the awkward, annoying, tiring, irritating, inconvenient conversation that needs to happen. That's really cool. Uh, and I said to my son, I said, I'd like to have a 24-hour rule with you. He goes, oh, that could be, I think I need three days. I was like, I get it. But the problem is if, if there's something left, it just sits there. And then it, people usually have another argument about the argument because mm-hmm. it hasn't been healed yet. And I really believe that you can come back in 24 hours. Anyway, I told him, whatever, it doesn't really matter. I'm not going to put a rule down. It's one thing having a, an agreement with your loved one, but a child needs to have their own space. But I said, listen, I'm available at any time to have the repair chat whenever you want to. And that's really beautiful. But so, yeah, my wife and I, it's a rough, it's a insane roller coaster. And yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way. Oh, another word that my son came up with today was exquisite. <laughs> And I said to I him it. today, your mummy and I had a had a rupture yesterday, but you know I think she's an exquisite person. And he was mm. like, oh, yeah. So being able to hold that love whilst knowing that we're in a place of disconnection today and then tomorrow it'll be different. You have to make a choice to have a relationship like that. I agree. I, I mean, if you want it to be long-term, for sure. I don't think there's any alternative. I think once you're on this path, I know friends who are in relationships with people who aren't into that. I don't think they're into it. I think it should be more accurate. I think everyone's into their own evolution, but a lot of us don't think we're into it. We're like, oh, I'm not into the spiritual coaching therapy. And like, you go, you go darling to that workshop. I think once you again, once you popped out and you go, this is who I am. I want to accelerate my evolution. I want to be part of life and the journey of the universe through ever more complex and wise manifestations of life. I think it's very hard to have a relationship that isn't based upon that agreement. And it's not for everyone slash it really is for everyone, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a choice. You know, it's a choice and it's a choice. And I had a previous marriage. My wife had a previous marriage. So we both had marriages that weren't in that agreement. And we both chose to be in this agreement and we both chose each other because 
you are both in this agreement with the universe, whatever, however you want to call it. But doesn't again, like you said at the very beginning, doesn't mean every day is a you know bowl of cherries with a lotus floating on the top. You know, it's it's uh, it's it's hard, deep work, but again, insanely rewarding. Right. There's a lot of highs and there's a lot of lows, but you know, the highs get higher and the lows get lower. Once you wake up, you realize the role that your emotions play in, in mm. how you figure out the world and how you exist. And, you know, that's mm. how we get passionate. We get emotional, you know? So, yeah. It's interesting. We had a, uh, my wife and I had a, a sort of day of journeying together, which we do every two or three months. The last one, we had this sort of realization that we have a very deep pattern around um, the masculine chase and the feminine sort of, you, know, you can't have me yet, you can't have me yet. Oh, I really want you, you know. And that, which are so many relationships are built upon that ultimate sort of level of, you know, can I get your number? No, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> 10 years on from that. And I, I use this for example for a reason because of what you said about the highs get higher, the lows get lower. And I thought, well, and we talked about it, you know, if we move beyond that, will we still have sexual charge? Will we have chemistry? Will we still be interested in each other? And what's been amazing is that the highs have got higher, but the lows have dissipated and flatlined so Mm. we're now in a place where we neither of us get that angry anymore with each other there's very little disappointment we've kind of we've had every disappointing thought about each other we could possibly have (laughs) and now we're sort of at the other side um and we're like you know it's just what she does it's just what he does it's all good he's just uh you know a little boy upset and she's just a little girl upset but Mm -hmm. the highs keep getting higher like the the sort of tantric connectivity we have and i mean both sensual but also intellectual you know co-creative working together just keep getting bigger and bolder without that previously associated drop and I think that's the same thing with myself as a you know the sort of bipolarity we all have between yeah the life's amazing and then oh god I can't do anything nothing's working for me oh my god that's me. and again my life has been about trying to flatten that peak and trough what I found is that the peaks have still got still really peaky but they're not sort of addictive dopamine peaky. They're not like, oh my God, I'm, uh, I'm going to do those. Of, oh, I'm going to wait and you You know, they're not that sort of creative, the sort of manic phase. They're just a more sort of expansive, yeah, life is amazing, but I don't need to get high on it right mm. now. But the, the lows have really flattened to a point where I don't really have dark thoughts anymore, which is really an amazing place to be if you knew what my 15-year-old consciousness was like. <laughs> you know, it was basically pretty much dark thoughts and a couple of, you know, a couple of fun moments. <laughs> so one of the things I've been meditating a lot on since the lockdown was what success looks like for me in this field, in spirituality and transformation. What does success look like? Is it having 10,000, 10 million book sales? Is it having Oprah Winfrey call you up? Is that success or is that just more of the same of the success we were taught, you know, by the modern world? And one of the things I'm really clear on is success for me is just being here without protection, without defences, and just being there to do the washing up and to cook a meal, try something new out every day, go for a walk. And that's probably the biggest gift that I can see in this pandemic is it's an opportunity to really reset, to recalibrate what is meaningful what's valuable what do i want to spend the next 10 15 20 30 years building doing what what am i what am i hoping to achieve mm. and because when you're told when you can't do any of it you know we can't go travel when we're on holiday for a year and a half usually we're like traveling the world i'm doing keynotes everywhere you know and then when it just sort of flattens out and the all i do in a day is go for a walk you know that's my that's my huge big excitement 
<laughs> you do then really appreciate the walk. You're like, wow, yeah. look, spring's coming. Look at this bud. You know, and that moment in the bud is the reward. Mm-hmm. You know, who needs to go to Goa and sit on the beach? I can just check this bud out. You know, this is amazing. <laughs> I mean that literally because that's actually what I've been doing. No, I know. And then, you know, metaphorically, you know, how to slow it down and really, you know, we talk about smell the roses as we go, as we, you know, walk by. But if we're still running to the next meeting, trying to get a whiff of the rose as we're like, I'm going to run. I'm going to smell the rose as well, but I'm going to run. I'm going to run. We're not, <laughs> really, we're not really smelling the rose. Right. Um, I think that's a great opportunity for this lockdown is to have a great reset. You know, what is it that you want to spend the next five years doing? What do you want your day to look like? And there's, you know, there's a great openness there for us all. Right. And and then try not to do that with data, like just really mm. writing down what your heart really wants, because, you know, that may not be created yet. The the job or relationship or whatever, you know, that you want really needs to come from your heart. Because I remember when I was studying psychology, energy psychology wasn't around just yet. So I had to wait 20 years <laughs> for it to come around. And and then I was Absolutely. like, there it is. That was what I was waiting for. Definitely. Uh, yeah. I have a very so, similar experience of my career. I've been trying to study something that didn't exist as a subject. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Someone said, you know, what could you do as a, when you're older, I'd be doing exactly this. Like literally that's exactly what I wanted to do, but I didn't even know it was a thing yeah. until like a few years ago. <laughs> I know. I remember writing down um, that I wanted to be a transformational coach and that was like 10 years ago and nobody was saying that. And, and then here we are, you know? Yeah. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're (laughs) a beautiful soul. And I'm so grateful that we have you on this planet teaching us these things and looking at them from such a unique perspective, you know, having the medical and, you know, all your personal experiences and even the way that you look at your relationship with your wife and your kids is really, is really amazing. Do you want to tell everybody where they can find you? Or, I mean, you have so much going on. So tell them the latest. <laughs> I'll be by the bud, looking at the bud. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the easiest way to stay in our world or get in our world is to come to the website, yeah. switchonnow.com and sign up in the footer of the website for the email. Because the email newsletter is where we send on new meditations or workshops or articles. Um, whereas social media, we're on them. Facebook is probably Instagram, switch on now um, on both Facebook and Instagram. Uh, my wife and I take it in turns to post and whatever. I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. If you're into business stuff, LinkedIn me. But the newsletter is really where we maintain a commitment to sharing. I also should say that we're just launching a really exciting program called Master Transformational Living, which is all about this stuff. It's about you know deep connection, awakening, consciousness, right through to living purposeful, regenerative lives, sustainable lives. So if you fact that sounds interesting to you, we'll be doing webinars. Cool. That sounds am- amazing. That's mm. the Master Transformational Living Program. Yeah. 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 Awesome. That's of my wife and I's life's work, essentially. Thank you so much. Actually, I'm going to get all the books. <laughs> he has four of them. You Tell them what books you have. <laughs> well, Spiritual Atheist is the most um, philosophical and sort of nuanced. Uh, Switch On is about personal transformation. You know, how you go through that journey. The dark, it's basically, it's the one that talks about the dark night of the soul and then how to understand it in a way that feels, I guess, less intense. There's one about organizations called Become a Transformation Organization. Like, how do you do organizations in the 21st century? Mm -hmm. How do you bring heart into the world of 
Mind and Machines. And then my latest book's called Now Lead the Change, and it's about transformational leadership and how you lead the world we want to have. They all sound amazing. <laughs> I can't wait and to more, more coming. Awesome. <laughs> I'm sure they are. I mean, you just, I love it. You just come from your heart and you just keep going. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. All content provided by Amy Stark and or her guests on the Stark Transformation Show website or other platforms, including text, images, audio, or other formats, are created for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition. Amy Stark is not a doctor or a therapist.